through um, the book of Romans and we have called this whole book really um, the gospel of God. That's my thoughts on the book, the gospel of God. Um, Last week we have been looking at the society in which Paul was living. The society in which Paul was living um, was very, very wicked. Great godlessness, great wickedness. Um, And we parallel that society to our society in our day as well. And we looked at that um, as Paul looked at the world. He had nothing good to say about it. But now Paul turns his attention away from the society. And he turns his attention in chapter 2 to the religious world. That's where he turns his attention to. Now... We don't really live in a religious country anymore. Um, And some of these verses may seem strange to us. But we still have religious people in our society. And Jesus dealt, when Jesus was ministering, Jesus was dealing with religious people called the Pharisees. And in two places in the New Testament that Jesus speaks about these religious people. Let me show you one of them over in Revelation. Revelation um, chapter 2. Jesus is speaking and he says, I know your affliction and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue. Of Satan. Can you believe that? They say that they are Jews. But Jesus said they are not Jews. Instead they are a synagogue. Of Satan. In other words the devil. Is dwelling within them. But Jesus also said a lot more. um, In the gospel. In Matthew for example. Look what he says in Matthew about these Pharisees. Woe to you teachers of the law. And Pharisees. You hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything that is unclean. Can you imagine that? Jesus says, look at you. On the outside, he says to these religious men and women, on the outside, you look so beautiful, so clean, so white, so so sparkly. But on the inside, he says, you're filled with dead men bones and everything that is unclean. The question then must be asked, do we have these kinds of people today? That's the question. And the answer is certainly yes. We have large number of these type of people coming into churches all over the UK. Driving into the car parks and, and walking into churches all over our country. We have a large number of people who on the outside, they look so clean. You look at them and you say, what wonderful people. But on the inside, there's something different going on. And so while the hearts in the chapter 1 are, and the men are, are wicked there, 
Paul is turning his attention now to the men within the church. And he says, you on the outside, doesn't look like them outside. But on the inside, I'm telling you, you are full of every kind of wickedness. In fact, you're a synagogue of sin. So let's look how Paul deals with them in chapter 2. Because the way he deals with them in chapter 2 is the same way that Jesus deals with them in the Gospels. So how does Paul deal with them? So the first thing I want to share with you from chapter 2 is the false believers. False believers. Look at the verse that was read to us. Verse 1. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever, at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourselves because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Now I can hear the voices of those men on the day, in Paul's day, those Jewish men. I can hear them saying, hold on Paul, you're going too far. What are you, what are you saying? Are you saying that we are like them, those pagans? Are you saying that we are exchanging the glory of God for, for idols? Are you saying that we have sexual lusts? And desire? Are you saying that we're wicked and depraved? Are you saying that? Surely not, Paul. That would be their argument. And they will see themselves as completely justified. Not being like anyone from the world, completely justified. But Paul is shifting his focus and he's saying, hold on you guys. I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to those who come into the house of God. That's what he's saying. And the reason why he's saying you are just as bad, if not worse, if not worse, is because your action and your desires is all inside, if not out. Some of you may have heard the story of a man called, um, not story, the new story of a man called um, Dr. Shipman. Dr. Shipman was a doctor, um, Harold Shipman his name is. He was a doctor, 2000, he was convicted of killing 15 people. He was Britain's worst mass murderer. Why was it bad that he did it? I'll tell you why it was bad that he did it. It was bad because he was a doctor. People look at doctors and say he's a medical professional. And yet he used his clean outside appearance. And he had murder in his heart. Let's come closer to home. Over in um, Harold, over in Romford, not very far from us four or five miles in Romford, a man called um, Dr. Shah. He's been arrested this year. What for? Over a hundred women were sexually assaulted by this doctor. Some of them raped. And it hit front page news. Why? Because he was a doctor. One of the reasons why. He was a doctor. 
on the outside. You give him the respect. You give him the, 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 the honor. You put yourself into his hands. And this man abused his position. That on the outside he looked wonderful and clean. And had all the medical profession records on his wall. But inside his heart he was sexually impure. And that is what Paul is saying. Paul is turning around and he said, now listen you, he says to the church, to the Jews, to the religious people. Before you condemn the homosexual, before you condemn the immoral, before you look down on those who are sinning openly, I want to point the finger at you this morning. Because like Jesus, on the outside, as Jesus said, on the outside, you look all clean. You look all pure, you look all holy, but on the inside, you're full of wickedness. But then someone else would turn around and say, well, that's not me. I'm not like that. Well, look what the um, Bible says about the word of God. And the last bit here in the word, it says this, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Here I want you to get. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of where? What's going on here? That's what God is concerned about. Oh, we can come into church Sunday morning after Sunday morning, sit there, give praise and worship to God. But God is concerned about what's going on inside here. Cannot fool God, he says. And Paul pulls out these men and he says, you know, God's no fool. Your actions may not be there, but your very thought, your very inclination, your very desire, oh, your action may not be there, but you don't want to get caught. You don't want to be seen doing anything. You don't want to get a bad name, but in your heart you long to do the wickedness that other people are doing. Ah, says the Holy Spirit. I'm not concerned about your actions so much as I'm concerned about your heart. And the word of God will come and investigate what is the attitude and the thoughts of your heart. Well, Paul goes on and asks this question. Look what he says. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Do you think you will escape God's judgment? Well, the answer is, no way. We will never escape God's judgment. Peter picks it up as well. He says this, for it's time for judgment to begin where? Begin with God's house. You see, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he came into Jerusalem and he could go two ways. He could have turned right and he could have gone into the marketplace. Because there in the marketplace were prostitutes and sinners and thieves and tax collectors. He could have gone right and gone into the marketplace and sorted them out. But he did not do that. Instead he went left. And he went into his house. He went into the temple. 
He went into a place where people were worshipping God. And he made a whip. And when he went in there, he chased them out. Turn over the tables of the money changers. Get out, he says. My house should be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Jesus went into his house and judged his house. He didn't go out into the marketplace. No, he sat with the sinners. He sat with the prostitutes. He sat with the thieves. But he came in and he brought judgment to his house. Jesus is concerned about his church. The problem is, the church is so concerned about condemning people on the outside, they're not busy about looking at what's on the inside. So busy talking about them, those wicked men and women on the outside, they're not concerned about what's going on in their own lives. So busy saying, oh, it's so dark, so dark in the world, but they don't realize how dark it is in their own lives. My dear friends, it is dark. Because you're sat here, don't think that you are somehow outside of God's searching eye. Don't think that you are outside of the word of God this morning. Don't think that you're better here because the one person next door got a hangover because on Saturday night they were drinking all night but because you're in church somehow you are far more righteous than them no 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 God is far more concerned about what's going on in your heart this morning and what's going on in my heart this morning and Paul is causing God's spotlight to shine upon every man and woman even upon the pastor this morning False believers. But Paul sticks on with and carries on with them. Let me go on to the, my next heading, abundant riches. Because Paul is sticking with those who on the outside are looking clean, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones. He's still sticking with them. And um, he says about them this. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Forbearance and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Paul is saying you're showing contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance and patience. Let me remind you what happened to Jonah. You know Jonah, the prophet, got swallowed by a huge fish. Eventually he goes to the place, doesn't he? He goes to Nineveh. You all know the story. He goes to Nineveh. Nineveh was a very great, wicked city. Jesus said that they don't know the right from the left. They're so wicked. But he goes to Nineveh and he preaches a message. Eight days or no, 40 days and Nineveh will be no more. And he preaches against that, that city. And he sat outside the city waiting for God to judge him. Can you just imagine his Jewish face? Come on, God. Let your fire fall from heaven. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting. But the people in Nineveh fasted and prayed. 
And as they were fasting and praying, God turned his judgment away. Now, you would have thought Jonah was there. Hallelujah, Lord! Wonderful! <laughs> Not at all, Jonah said. But Jonah seemed very wrong. Jo- Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said? Lord, when I was still at home, that is why, that is what I, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I knew that you were so kind and so loving. That's why I ran away, because I want your judgment to fall upon these men and women. They're wicked, they're horrible, they're nasty. I want them all gone, says Jonah. He was angry. Now Paul moves to the Jews. He said, you know, you Jews in Paul's day, you don't like those people in chapter one, do you? You want God to judge them, don't you? You hate that they're, they're inflamed with lust for one another. You hate the fact that they're depraved and, and forsaken the God and, and worshipping idols made of um, a man and animals and reptiles and birds. You hate that and you want all of them gone, don't you? You're just like Jonah. Sadly, how true can it be for us in this church? Christians who become so self-righteous that they hate the homosexual. They despise those who are living together. They hate those who are drug users, alcohol abusers. They hate them. They have nothing to do with those. They're horrible people. If God can come and God can take them out. We lost what was in the heart of the church 100, 200 years ago, what was in the heart of the church is that when they heard that people did not know God and was worshipping idols, what was in their hearts was, Lord, send me, Lord. Let me go out and reach the lost. And people left England and sailed from Africa, sailed to India, sailed to the Philippines, and sailed to give the gospel to China. Why? Because they were worshipping false gods. They didn't call God to send fire from heaven and destroy them. But now, in the 21st century, what do we have? We have a church. Not necessarily this church, but the church generally. We have a church full of self-righteous men and women. And God turns around and says to them, hold on. Paul says, hold on. Hold on. Let me bring you to God. Let me show you what God has. Do you know that God is rich? How do you mean God is rich? Do you not know that God has riches, kindness, patience or forbearance, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God is rich in mercy. I think Jonah said that, didn't he? I'm not too sure. Let me see what Jonah said again. He goes, I knew that you were uh, a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger 
and abounding in love. This is the God who is rich in mercy, rich in grace, rich in love. And this is the God who is amazingly kind and will turn his wrath away. Jeremiah knew this. He said this, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Listen, you may be in the church today and you may have this darkness in your life. You may be in the church today and you may not be praying for the, 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 the horrible sinners out there. Have no concern for them. I want to tell you, God is still drawing you with his loving kindness. God is saying, you know what? I love you as well. I don't only love them, but I love you as well. I'm going to speak to you and I'm going to draw you because my kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That's what my kindness is meant to be for. My kindness is there. The reason why I'm patient with you. Peter picks it up as well. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. This is our God. Not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's God this morning. I'm preaching for God this morning. I'm speaking for God's character this morning. Even though in your heart you might turn around and say, well, you know, um, I don't really like the sinners. I don't like the drug addicts. I don't like the prostitutes. I don't like the same-sex people. I don't like the homosexuals. I don't like them at all. I want to stay far away from them. But God says, ah, my kindness is working. My patience is working to even draw them and you to myself. What a wonderful God we serve. And this is a message for the church. Chapter 1 was a message for the pagans, for the heathens, for those outside the church. But chapter 2 and beyond is talking about those who are within the church. And Paul is saying, I've got a message for you. Don't think you can escape. Don't think you're better than those outside. No, no, no. God is looking into your heart and he's seeing what's really there. And he's concerned about it. And he's drawing you to himself. But the third thing, even though we spoke about abundant riches, nevertheless, there's still this issue of great anger. Paul parallels both people in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 with great anger, this great wrath of God. Look at chapter 1. It says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. That's in chapter 1. To the heathens, to the ungodly. But in chapter 2, again, that wrath appears. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. There's anger there again. Anger and wrath in chapter 1. And anger and wrath again in chapter 2. Why is this happening? Well, why is he mentioned it? Because Paul says a day is coming. 
This will take place on the day when God will judge people's secrets. The day is coming. It's not a good day. It's not a happy day, it seems. For some it may well be. But a day is coming, says Paul. Where God will judge. He will not just judge the open actions. The Bible says that God will judge the secrets. Things that you haven't even told your children. These things will come up. Things that you hide in yourself. That will come up. God will judge the secrets. And Paul will turn around and say about that day. He will turn around and say God will repay or God will give each person according to what they have done. Each person, whatever they have done, God will give, will repay. And Paul makes a distinction. Let's follow him through. He makes a distinction. And Paul turns around and says, well, there's a distinction, there's two groups. And I need to make it very clear, says Paul. The first group, you know, are those ones who by persistently, in persistence in doing good, seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. Here's a group of people, Paul says. These group are persistently doing good. And because they're doing good, they're seeking something. They're seeking glory. They're seeking honour. They're seeking immortality. They're seeking and they're persistently doing good. God will give them eternal life. But there's the other group. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be wrath and anger for those who are self-seeking, only concerned about themselves, only want to make sure they are covered, they are looked after. Those who reject the truth, they have pushed the truth of God to one side, they've accepted the lie, they've rejected the truth, and they are committed to do evil. Wrath. And anger. Two groups. Two people. The question really that we should ask ourselves at this point is this. What is the good I should do? That should be the question. Another question should be this. What is the evil I should avoid? If the good that I need to do will bring me into eternal life, what is that good that I need to do? And if the evil that I should avoid 
will cause me to have the wrath and the anger of God upon me, then what is that evil that I should avoid? That should be the question on everyone's heart and mind. I ain't given the answer to that yet. So I have one more thing to say. The wrong decision. Now you have noticed that Paul has put the Jew and the Gentile together. The wise and the foolish. The intellectual and the unintellectual. The Greek and the non-Greek. Everyone are the same. On the same level. No one's higher than anyone else. They're all the same, Paul says. And Paul turns around and says, listen. Those who haven't got the law. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. What does it mean? Those who sin apart from the law, those who don't have the Bible, those who sin without having the word of God, they will perish. But then he says this, those who have the law will be judged by the law. You see, you may think to yourself, well, that's really not fair because those who have the law have got an advantage, haven't they? They've got the law. But they don't have an advantage at all because the Bible says that if you have the law, look what it says, for if, if, for if, for it is those, for it is not those who hear the Lord who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law that are righteous. The question is, can anyone obey the law fully? In fact, the Bible turns around and says this, curse is anyone who does not obey the words of this law. If you do not keep every single word of this law, then you're cursed. And guess what? No one has been able to. Whether you have the law or you don't have the law, you both will perish because it's impossible. To uphold the law. So the question is. What good. Must I do. What good must I do. In order for me to have eternal life. What good. There's only one good you can do. And that is to put your faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other good you can do. Look what the Paul said. Those who persistently do good. Those who lay hold of Christ. Those who put their faith in Jesus. They are the only, the only good you can do. You're like the woman who, um, the, the, the Canaanite woman who went to Jesus. And she pleaded Jesus to come and to heal her son. And Jesus turned around and didn't answer her a word and he went into his room and sat down and his woman came into the room and fell at his feet and the disciples came to Jesus get rid of her 
get rid of her. But she wouldn't go. And she clocked from, she got from Jesus what she desired. She laid hold of Christ. Or maybe like blind Bartimaeus, remember him? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, shut up, be quiet. He's not interested in you, a beggar. Leave him alone. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, man. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus calls him to himself. This man lays hold of Jesus. Or should I go on to another story of a poor woman bleeding for 12 years, saying to herself, if only he can touch the hem of his garment, I shall be whole. There she is, going through the crowd, just wanting to touch the hem of Christ. Why? Because she knew that if I get a hold of Jesus, the only good I can do is to get a hold of Christ. If I get a hold of him, that's the only good that I need to do for salvation. God will give me eternal life. Never mind obeying every law that's written in the Bible. No, get the hold of Christ and his righteousness will be upon me. But I'll be a fading preacher if I don't tell you what's the evil you should avoid. What is the evil you should avoid doing? Well, I can hear some people say, well, I'm avoiding lots of evils. I'm not inflamed with lust for anybody. I'm, in, I'm avoiding that. I'm avoiding a depraved mind. I'm, I'm avoiding wicked thoughts. I'm avoiding theft, cursing. I'm avoiding so much. Surely I've avoided enough evil. No, my dear friends. The evil you must avoid. Hear me clearly. Is this. The evil you must avoid is rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the evil you must avoid. You know when Jesus was being crucified? What did he cry out? When he was being crucified, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. They think that they're avoiding sexual immorality. They're avoiding um, um, drunkenness. They're avoiding drugs and alcohol abuse. They think they're doing okay avoiding that, Lord. But Lord, forgive them for they're rejecting me. Forgive them, O God. For they do not know what they are doing. That is the greatest sin of man. The greatest evil man can ever do is not being out there on a Saturday night doing wickedness. The greatest evil you can do, the greatest evil they can do, the greatest evil I can do is to reject Jesus Christ. That's the greatest evil. But there is only one good. Lay hold of him. That's the only good you can do. And Paul is pointing to the church and he's saying, listen church, don't point to those men and women out there and and think you're better than them when in your heart there's wickedness. No, no, they need to get hold of Christ. But you need to get hold of Christ as well. There's no difference. 
If you're in the church today, cry out to God, oh God, forgive me for my arrogance. Oh God, forgive me from my hardness of heart, for my stubbornness. Oh God, forgive me and Lord, draw me by your kindness. Draw me by your patience. You have been patient with me for so long. I've been in the world so long. I've been in the church so long. And my attitude has not changed. Thank you for putting breath in my body, oh God. That I can cry out to you. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your patience. I'm coming again fresh to you. That's what we need to pray. Because God is looking for a church. God is looking for a people who has him at the center of their lives. Are you laying hold of Christ this morning? Even as a Christian. You're not trusting in the pastor, I hope you're not. You're not trusting in a building, I hope you're not. You're not trusting in worship, we haven't got any worship, I hope you're not. I sincerely hope that you're laying hold of Christ and saying, that's the only good I can do. I know that there's nothing good that lives in me. That's in my sinful nature. It's nothing good that is in me. All I can do is lay hold of Christ. May that be you. And may that be me. Let's pray. Father in heaven,